If you will, if you truly do love me, then do as I say. The, the idea here is that you will keep his commandments. Not perfectly. This is not talking about us being this perfected body of believers that we never sin, we never fall short of the command. Because Jesus died for the very fact that we fall short. And there's grace and there's mercy, but it is a test for all of us to, to look at our life and say, I'm not doing what Jesus said for me to do. Therefore, I don't love him like I think I love him. This is like a, a, a test here. It's a way to see my devotion, my love for God. Where am I at in this love relationship with Jesus? Because you can say that you love him and you can say that you love someone but your actions can say something else. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, this is how you will know that you love me is that you will do as I command you to do. Welcome to Refuge Podcast, a weekly Bible study for young adults at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. All right, you guys turn your Bibles to... John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Tonight we're going to be picking up in the 15th verse. You know what? Let's stand together. We used to do this and I stopped doing it. I don't know why. I think because I get nervous when I get up here because you're all looking at me. So let's all stand as we read God's word and we'll pray together. All right. John chapter 14, verse 15. It says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time that we can just sing to you and worship you. And um, I know for me, Lord, it's just a great, it's just so nice to be able to come in and relax in your presence and just know that um, you love me, you care about me. Lord, we pray tonight that your Holy Spirit would speak to us in power. We thank you, God, that your spirit is the spirit of truth. And so as we open your word, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would teach us, revealing to us more of your word more of who you are, your heart for us, God. And Lord, we pray that you would move powerfully among us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Like, as you know, maybe you've been following along with us. If this is your first time and you're picking up here in the middle, we'll cover some of the, some of the context. Some of the context for you this evening. And that is, as we've been making our way through the Gospel of John, John's whole motive of writing his Gospel towards the end of his life. This is one of the last things he ever wrote. Um, and so later on in his life, he wrote down this description of, of what he remembered of Jesus and what the Lord, and, and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, put it on his heart to write. He wrote with the intention of helping us in our faith. He wrote that we might believe. John chapter 20, verse 30 says that, he wrote these things. These things are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah. And so um, that is the theme of the book. That is the reason uh, for John's writing. Um, and as we move through it, hopefully you've seen that phrase repeated, that you might believe. 
that you wouldn't be shaken, but that your faith would be strengthened. And so um, that theme continues through the book. As we made our, our way to chapter 11, that was really the dividing point in the book. And so that entered into uh, about the last 24 hours, the last few days of the life of Jesus. Here we are in the upper room. It's the last 24, 48 hours of the life of Jesus. And it's actually from here till the end is, is within a few hours. And so this is where most of the detail is coming in. Uh, if you look at the other gospels, um, Mark's gospel is very precise. It's very rapid. It goes very quickly. Um, this event led to this event, led to this event. You hear that you read the word immediately some, you know, 75 times. It's something that's very precise and quick. John takes his time, especially in these last few chapters. Um, and I think because it made a deep impact in his life, what he saw, what he remembered. Uh, and it really adds, I think, um, it adds sound, it adds taste to this last bit of Jesus' life. Uh, whereas you can read it, I know as we come, I don't want to talk about Easter, but as we come towards Easter, like it's already coming, um, you're like Valentine's Day is already you know, here and you know, Single Awareness Day is coming up, otherwise known as SAD, that's coming up. Uh, <laughs> sorry, that's mean. Uh, but as you, you, know, you come to that and now Easter's coming, um, you start thinking about, and, and we get to that story, it's very easy to read over the story. Like it's easy sometimes just to blow past it and we know Jesus died on the cross for my sins, he's alive, he's risen, and we're stoked. But John really spends a lot of time adding these certain details to where you can like taste it, you can smell like the, the atmosphere of it. And it really helps us to, to place ourselves into the story and help us to really get a deeper glimpse of, of this time in Jesus' life, which I love. It's really, it's more like a, a documentary of something. Like if you've ever watched a movie and then there's a documentary of behind the scenes, like this is kind of that, that feel. It's like this is the behind the scenes that no one saw, but only the 12 kind of got this glimpse into the life of Jesus there um, in the last 24 hours. But um, Jesus wash, he washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13, uh, and then Judas goes out to betray him there at the end of chapter 13, and then Jesus begins to speak the upper room discourse to his disciples. And this is something where he begins to reveal deep truths about, about the resurrection, about heaven, about uh, the Trinity. I mean, um, just sitting in, in my little gray box of an office today, like trying to think about the Trinity for eight hours. You try it. You try it. It is one of those things where you're like, what? Am I even saved? I don't even know. Like, and I don't, you know. I need to go back to school or something because I feel stupid. But um, that's where we are. We're in this like deep discourse where Jesus is conveying truths. He's telling them that he's about to die, that he's not going to be with them much longer. I mean, time is short and it's just this, a lot is happening here in our text this evening. And so verse 15, it picks up with Jesus saying, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now, that's pretty intense. Like it's an intense first verse. If you love me, other translations read in a more literal text, it says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. 
And, and this is him helping them to understand their relationship to him. This is like a, a, a test here. It's a way to see my devotion, my love for God. Where am I at in this love relationship with Jesus? Because you can say that you love him, and you can say that you love someone, but your actions can say something else. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, this is how you will know that you love me is that you will do as I command you to do. This is the test for you. Now, it is not, however, the, and what we can think of is, and I don't know if my mind went there, if I don't keep his commandments like I haven't, right? Say yes. Like I haven't, right? I have disobeyed God in many ways. Then God then therefore does not love me. Because if I don't love him, then why would he love me? Now here is what we need to understand. Jesus is not saying, because you don't keep my commands, therefore I do not love you. He's saying, you, this is how you know that you are in right relationship with me and your love for me is on point, is that you do as I say, and you can be guaranteed of this, if you're not, my love for you has not changed. And I read that today and I went, if I'm not keeping his commandments, then perhaps God is not loving me the way that, and I've blown it, therefore God doesn't love me. That is not what the text is saying. And that is not what Jesus says. And what he said to Peter later in this, in this book, John records for us, after Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus shows up there, resurrected on the shore, and he speaks to Peter and he says to him, do you love me, Peter? And Peter says, yes. And he asks him again, do you love me? And every time he asks the question and Peter answers, Jesus says and gives him a command. Do you love me? He says, yes, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, then tend my sheep. Do you love me? And finally, Peter says, Lord, do you know whether or not I love you? Like, you know all things. You're risen from the dead. So you probably know. And you know my heart. You know all things. You know that I am fond of you. And Jesus says to him again, he gives him a command, feed my lambs. In the sense, uh, and here's what Jesus is doing. He's restoring Peter back into ministry, saying, my love for you hasn't changed. But I want to see, I want you to see where your love for me is. If you will, if you truly do love me, then do as I say. The, the idea here is that you will keep his commandments. Not perfectly. This is not talking about us being this perfected body of believers that we never sin, we never fall short of the command. Because Jesus died for the very fact that we fall short. And there's grace and there's mercy. But it is a test for all of us to, to look at our life and say, I'm not doing what Jesus said for me to do. Therefore, I don't love him like I think I love him. And James talked about it as well, that we can be self-deceived by simply what we say and not doing what we say that we think we do. That didn't make any, you're like, huh? It, it, listen, I can say all day long, I'm a bird, I'm a bird, I'm a bird, I'm a bird. And you say, well, then fly. I'm like, I don't really want to. Doesn't matter what I say. It matters what I do. I can tell my wife that I love her all day long. I love you. I can send her little texts and I can send her pictures of me like, or I can send little emojis and I can, I can just convey with words and with type and with all these things. And I love you. And then I go out and do things that do not 
coincide with the fact that I love her. Jesus is helping us, giving us this, this, this kind of this ground to look at. If I say that I love Jesus, then does my life match my words? And you're thinking, well, what does Jesus say? What are his commands? Listen, this is the known will of God. The word of God is the known will of God. If you're wondering, what is God's will for my life? Listen, he writes it down. This is the known will of God. When there's a command and it says, thou shalt not, or, or it says, don't have premarital sex, or don't do this and don't do that. Listen, that is God's known will. These are his commands. And he says, don't let any perverse thing come from your mouth, but think on these things. These are commands. These are things that God says, do this, don't do this. And if you love me, if you care for me, this is what you will do. Now, the good news is this. If I am not doing that, now I don't know about you, but this verse nails me. If I'm not keeping his commands, the good news is that Jesus died on the cross for my sin to forgive me of those sins. And he pours out grace upon me when I confess them and I come to him and say, God, forgive me. Help me to love you again. There's this wonderful space in which God just gives you to, to come to him because of Jesus. You now have access into his, his throne of grace where he then extends that to you and says, come home. Come home. Th those things you've been disobeying. The good news is, is Jesus paid the penalty for that disobedience. Now, that does not give us, as Paul would say, does that give us the right then to just sin as we want? And we're like, sick, grace, I love it. Yeah, pour it out, God. In fact, I want to give you opportunity to pour out grace, God. So I'm going to be a little rotten sinner. Like, watch this. You thought I was bad before. Check this out. That is, it's not this like open-ended kind of like, all right, sweet. I love grace. That gives me the opportunity to be a hoodlum. That's not what grace is. It's an abuse of God's grace, Paul would say. Should we who died to sin continue in it? That's like saying if we're, we've been made alive to go back and crawl into the coffin and just live inside of that place. And God says, no, that's not your life anymore. You've been born again in the spirit of God, so therefore walk in the spirit. Walk in my commands. Where, listen, we couldn't do that before Christ. You couldn't do that on your own, right? The religious leaders tried that. The Pharisees thought they were righteous because they did that. They thought, I'm perfect. I keep the commandments. I keep the law. Paul himself says, in the law, I was perfect. I kept them. But the one that got him was thou shalt not covet. Because it was, it was the sin in which he could not fix himself. It was a heart issue. And he says, that one just did me in. I can't fix my heart. That's something that God does. And so this grace that God has given us, the grace and the mercy that God has poured out upon us, is it should be the greatest motivation for us to continue to love Jesus. I think it's Titus. Paul wrote to Titus, let grace be our teacher. And what does it teach us? It teaches us to live, live righteously, knowing that Christ is returning 
in this future event, but he says also to live, live in light of the cross and what Jesus has done. So the Christian lives within two, in between two events. He lives with be after the cross, like after that, like I live righteously because of what Jesus has done. His love poured out on the cross for me. His grace shown upon the cross. I'm so thankful. I'm so gra- I'm so grateful. Therefore, I want to walk according to His word, and I also look forward to the fact that He's coming again. Therefore, I want to walk according to His word and in His commands because my God is coming soon for me. And so the Christian lives in between these two events because of the grace of God. My motivation for living a holy life and living in his commands is because he died for me. He rose again for me. He lives for me. And as he'll say tonight, because I live, you shall live also. The hope of eternal life. But also that he's coming again. The second coming of Christ. He can come tonight. This is the motivation for the Christian. To live within the commands of God because God has been gracious. He says to us, you love me. Why? Because I first loved you. That love is a love that has begun. It has no beginning and it has no end. He's loved us continuously. So if you're looking at this tonight and say, if you love me, keep my commands. And you thought, man, well, I'm not doing that. Perhaps God doesn't love me. That's not what the text is saying. It's telling us and giving us a test for our own life and saying, do I love Jesus the way that I say that I do? Then my life should show it. And if it hasn't, repent, turn, confess, come back. There's grace for you. There's mercy for you and for me. I'm just going to claim it for myself. Forget you. Like it's for me. Like I need grace today. I need mercy today. I'm a sinful person. Extremely. Hang out with me for a day. And you will see the proof. But anyway, moving on. Verse 16, it says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you, and, you will be, and he will be in you. And will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now remember, Jesus starts this chapter by saying, let not your heart be troubled. Okay, so now he's going to lay out reasons as to why they shouldn't have a troubled heart. And Brad taught that first section. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. That he's preparing a place for us. Heaven is our home. The Father's been revealed in Christ. Um, Jesus answers our prayers. Whatever we ask in his name. There's access unto God. Now, he says... The promise or the gift of the Holy Spirit is reason enough for our hearts not to be troubled. This is one of the reasons. He's given a couple of different titles in in this text. Pastor John just did this whole series on the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, going through each gift uh, individually. And if you want to check that out, it's on the church app. And each gift is kind of laid out as to what they do, what they're for. But this is talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. And this is where we get into the Trinity. One of those things that I I have no idea how it works, but it does. There's three in one. There are three different persons, yet they are one mind, but separate. Right? Amen. It's like we used to explain it like an egg. You know, there's like a, there's a shell. There's the white part, and then there's the yellow part. 
the yolk, right? Is that what it's called? The yolk, right? There's, there's an egg. That's a triune. All of it is egg, but very different egg, right? It's different parts of the egg. There's like oranges. You're like, there's the peel. There's the orange and there's the seed. Like all our, our, you know, we, and this is how, when I was a junior high pastor, like see kids, the Trinity. And it's like a little more, a little more difficult than that. Like it's not, God's not like an egg where he's like, exactly. You got it. <laughs> Way to go. High five you. You figured out the Trinity. Like that's not, that's not it. You talk to Mormons and they got a whole different idea about the Trinity. They're like, no, there's multiple gods. And you're like, I don't know. The Holy Spirit, when it talks about the Holy Spirit here, it's talking about God, the third person in the Trinity. This is God. It, it has a personal name. He, right? Jesus uh, refers to him as a person. He will abide with you. He is called the helper. He is called the spirit of truth. He's called the comforter. There's different titles for him in the text that we have tonight, but he's given a couple different titles and each give us insight into the person and who he is and what he does. But here he's called the comforter. Uh, I don't know if some of your translations say helper. Um, I don't know if you have a different translation. Anyone else have a different translation? Comforter, what do you have? Helper. Anyone else have a different one? NIV or anyone? Right on, we're going to go with comforter. So comforter, helper. Mine says helper. Others say comforter. But, but it's the same idea. The word is, in the Greek, it's the word parakletos. It's a word that means to come alongside to assist. So when Jesus says, I will pray to the Father and he will give you the comforter or the helper that he may abide with you forever. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. He does not possess us and completely control us to where we have no free will. The idea here is there's power that comes alongside to live a different kind of life. So the Holy Spirit is with us. Look what it says in, in later in verse 18. Um, or no, verse 17. Uh, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you. So he's with you and he will be in you. In the book of Acts, he will come upon them. Okay, so the Holy Spirit is with us. He's the one who convicts all men of sin to draw men to Jesus. There's this common grace which the Holy Spirit is drawing men unto God. There's a, a guy we got to baptize today, a Marine, who randomly called our church. He's like, hey, I want to get baptized. And we're like, right, right on. Who are you? And so we went to baptize him, and we're just kind of talking like, how did you get saved? Where did you get saved? He says, my friend died in, in a, a training accident. My grandfather died in a training accident. I've always believed in God, but I've never committed myself to God. And he says, I've never felt the presence of God more in my life than in these, these last few months. Where I could feel God drawing me into himself. And he says, and there in my room, I prayed, God, I believe that you are real. No one preached to him. He didn't go forward at a Greg Glory thing. He didn't, no one was there in his room like, like, look, man, let's talk about these, you know, eschatological things and let's, let's explain this out. He felt the presence of God. The Holy Spirit drew him to himself. He gave his life to Jesus and he got baptized. That's the Holy Spirit with us. And as he, as he prayed there in his room, the Holy Spirit came in him. He was born again. Where his soul was dead is now alive in Christ. And today we prayed that the Holy Spirit would come upon him and baptize him afresh again to live a life that he could not live in his own strength. 
That is the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. That he is with us, he is in us, and he comes upon us. Listen, to assist and to help. He does not possess us. The Holy Spirit does not work instead of us or in spite of us, but in us and through us. And that's very important for us to understand. God does not force himself upon you and then you become some robotic thing that is unable to make choices. But you have a Holy Spirit who is in you who says, whispers very softly, don't do that. You can overcome. And it's when we feed the spirit that the spirit's voice grows. It's when we feed the flesh, the flesh grows. And that's why the Bible encourages us to starve the flesh. But that word parakletos means that he comes alongside. He does not possess us. He comes along to assist us and empower us. And there's more to this study. If you want a great book on the work of the Holy Spirit, R.A. Torrey's book, The Baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's a great book on that. Um, he's the founder of Biola, pretty you know, cool guy. But he comforts us, not with just a sympathetic way, but true comfort strengthens us. That word comforter is two Latin words that make up our English word, which means to strengthen or with strength. So when it talks about our helper or our comforter, it's talking about how he doesn't just sympathetically come alongside and hug you and be like, oh, let's cry it out. You know, I think that's sometimes we think comfort is just him kind of coming alongside. He's like a safety blanket. And you're like, I feel so cozy in the Holy Spirit. It's not that kind of thing where he's like just a weighted blanket where you can like, ah, oh, yes, there is a real sense of comfort when there's pain, when there's suffering. But there is also strengthening that comes that we might bravely and, and victoriously move forward in our life, no matter what the circumstance is. So he comforts us not, and true comfort is that which strengthens us to continue on. The spirit of truth is, he's also called, meaning he doesn't lie to us. He illuminates the truth. He inspired the word of God through, through men's hand. He illuminates the word for us to understand God's word. Much like the Ethiopian eunuch who was reading the book of Isaiah and there's Philip running alongside his chariot and he's like, do you know what you're reading? And the guy says, No. But it's pretty interesting. Here are people, there's a, a class at Saddleback that's the Bible as, a, as, a, as literature. Like just looking at it as poetry or as wisdom books or as, um, I don't know what else you would read it as. But as like literature. It's just a book like any other book. And if you don't know Jesus and you don't have the Holy Spirit, then, then it's just that. It's, it's a book that you don't understand. And people who are searching for God, they're reading, they're saying, man, there is something more to this book. And when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, suddenly this makes sense. They go, oh my goodness, this is unbelievable. Why couldn't I see this before? And, and even in God's word, he even pierces through the darkness of people's blindness. I mean, even as they read it, it does something to the soul. It's powerful. And it's the Holy Spirit working through God's word because he is the spirit of Truth. Jesus says um, the, the whole, the people cannot see him, nor do they know him, but you know him. He dwells with you. He will be in you, and I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Um, we have this wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence with us always. Um, you remember when Jesus says, it's good that I go, that I might send another. And you think, what could be better than the physical presence of Jesus in your life? 
Jesus' body was, was restricted to one geographical location. He couldn't be everywhere at once as a human being. But as the Holy Spirit fell, now as you go to your house and I go to my house, guess what? The Spirit of God with us, presence always. We went to Thailand a few months ago, which I can't believe. I was in Thailand and we went to different churches and we're like, oh my gosh, Holy Spirit's here too. Sick. <laughs> Rad. Like, wow. That doesn't exist. Like, that doesn't exist apart from Jesus dying and ascending into heaven. And he says, this is something that's unique to the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there were times where the Holy Spirit would leave. Remember when we studied through 2 Samuel like 19 years ago, um, we went through that, that whole uh, story of Saul and David. You remember at one point, the Spirit left Saul. Jesus says, I will not leave you orphans. He will be with you always, always. Always. And when the Bible says always, it says it means always. There's no hidden meaning. There's no condition. It means exactly what it says always. He's with us. We also have the gift of the love of the Father. Look at verse 19. A little while longer in the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also, remember Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Because I live, you also shall live. And at that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, this is one of those verses where I was like, you should, you should figure that one out on your own, because I have no idea what it means. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. There is this unveiling of the person of God in the person of the Holy Spirit. Look at Romans chapter five, verse five. It says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The love of God is experienced through the person of the Holy Spirit. It's a powerful thing. What a gift. Um, it's, it's hard to explain um, love in the sense that you don't, um, what, is the, what is the way I'm trying to communicate this? Hold on. I love my kids. I have four kids and they're super cool. Super rad. She come to our house sometime and uh, just get beat up by a two-year-old. She's the strongest person I've ever met in my life. She's a She-Hulk, our little Fifi. Um, don't let her name deceive you. She will bite you. Um, but anyway, you love them. And it's a love that like you can't, you can't like explain. It's not like they deserve it all the time, right? But you do. It's weird. Even if you don't want to. Like you can't help it as, as, a, as a parent, a spirit-filled parent. But you look at it from the aspect of God who loves those that hate him and betray him and seek to destroy his name. Jesus died for them. That is a gift 
that is so undeserved. And we need to take a second to really think about that. Like it's easy sometimes for us to think like, yeah, okay, God loves good people. Do you know that God loves horrible people? God loves them to where he'll actually show up to them in dreams, in visions, revealing himself to them so that they might be saved. This is the God that we serve. It's a God of love. It's a God of love. And if he is a God of love, and therefore we are his church and his children, then we too also, we need to be people of love. We need to show love to those who don't love us. Because that is supernatural. It's something that God has gifted us. It's something that's undeserved by us. Therefore, we have no right to withhold it from anyone else. God did not withhold his love from us. Therefore, I have no right of my own to withhold it from anyone else. Love should be given because it's been freely given to me by God. Therefore, I need to love. It's a command of God. Um, and, and that was our second point. Third point, 25, verse 25. These things, nope, verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. This is the third time he said it. So it's pretty important. And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoa, hold on a second here. Not only will God love us, but he actually dwells in us. This is New Testament stuff. God used to dwell in a tent in, in this, this place uh, that, that Israel was supposed to set up as the tabernacle, as a temple, as a place where God's presence dwelled. It came down once a year, Yom Kippur. It, it was only in, in momentary things. Now he says, if those who keep my commands, we love them and we will dwell in them. That's our home. It was a picture. The, the temple, the tabernacle, was an Old Testament picture of a New Testament type that Christ would not live in, in, in a, a tent made with hands, but he would live within human beings. He would come and make his home with us. And, and that's a, an amazing thing. We will come to him and make our home with him. The idea is the love of God has come to dwell in us. Come on. He dwells in you. If you're a spirit-filled Christian tonight, you've asked Jesus in your heart as your Lord and Savior, you put your faith and trust in him. Guess what? He lives in you. He lives in you. Therefore, where you go, Jesus goes with you. What your eyes take in, Jesus sees as well. What your hands handle, Jesus handles as well. Where are you taking our Lord and Savior? Remember when Jesus came into the temple and he ran everything out of it. He says, this does not belong in my house. The same in the heart of the believer. There are things that creep in, things that do not belong. And he says, if you love me, these do not belong here. Drive them out. These are false things. These are idols. These are things that we begin to worship. This is where God dwells. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. And the words which you hear is not mine, but it's the Father who sent me. When God speaks, Jesus comes out. So if you want to know what God is saying, what, what is God's word? You look at the life of Jesus. This is as God would speak. He is the word in flesh. As God speaks, Jesus comes out. What Jesus does is what God has said. 
Jesus said, my food is to do the will of he who sent me. In verse 25, it says, these things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I say to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You have heard me say to you, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said I am going to the Father. For my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk with you for the ruler of this world is coming and he has nothing in me but that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, so I do. Arise, let us go from here. The third gift that God gives to us is his peace. The word peace is the word shalom. Shalom, homie. It's this idea, sorry. It's the word shalom. It, it had a deep, a deep meaning for the, for the Jewish people. Today they still say when you're in, when you're in Israel. Shalom. It's, a, it's just a wonderful greeting that they, they have for you. But it, it's not just peace. It means wholeness, completeness, health, security, even prosperity in the best sense is what this word means. And Jesus says, I leave with you peace. Peace. And that is, again, a work of the Holy Spirit in our life is that he gives us peace that passes my understanding. It's not that we're like, I just have this peace. I don't know why, but I do. I mean, but it's, it's peace in knowing that God is in control. It's not just this overwhelming, uncontrolled, like where you're like, I just have peace because the Holy Spirit just possesses you and it's like, you will have peace whether you like it or not. Like it's not forced upon you. It happens naturally as you love God and you keep his commands, you will have peace. You'll have peace, wholeness, completeness. Because God is the one who completes us. I don't know if you knew this, but your future spouse does not complete you. Jerry Maguire had it wrong, where he's like, you complete me. And she's like, you have me at hell, and all that, and the whole thing, okay? Do you know that that is an expectation that you put on your spouse that is un, it's unmeetable. Like you can't do that. If my wife was like, you complete me in every sense. And I would go, this is terrifying. I can't, I cannot, I cannot meet every single need that you possibly could have. Right? What does Jesus say? I give you peace, completeness, wholeness, because God has given us each other, right? He's given you a spouse or a future spouse at some point, not to complete you, but to compliment you. Right? What does he say in, in the book of Genesis? That you might be a helper to complement each other. Nowhere in there is he like, completion, I'm out of here. I'm done. Like, you're good. All you needed was, was a, a dumb man, right? If you ask my wife today, like, does your husband complete you? Does he? <laughs> no, absolutely not. There's no way. Like, yes, we love each other. Yes, we're committed to each other. But you know that she needs Jesus. Because there are things that like, there is a, a desperate, like there is something missing if, and I can't, I can't do it. I'm trying to fill a, a space that is only reserved 
for Jesus himself and there's no way I can do it. So if you have an expectation that Sunday I'll be complete once I find that person, you are setting yourself up to be extremely disappointed because you're putting an expectation on them that God has never put on them. Your future spouse, whoever that is, is meant to compliment you and you're meant to compliment them. You do not complete each other. Jesus Christ completes us. Wholeness, fullness, security, prosperity is not in the, in the sense of monetary things. It is totally in the richness that is salvation. That's it. That's it. Jesus said, peace I give to you. Can you imagine this time, uh, if you're a disciple and you're walking with Jesus for three years and he's like, listen, some stuff's going to go down. Like, I'm not going to be around for, for much longer. And you're like, hold on a second. I sold everything. <laughs> my wife left me and uh, lost my job. We've been living on the ground for a while. And um, I know you can manifest bread and stuff. So that's cool. We thought the kingdom was coming. So you're not going to be here. You know what I mean? Like, so, so your calendar is different than my calendar. Like, you're going to be leaving. Imagine. And you're like, peace? I don't think so. You're living at a time where Rome is the ruling, governing power of the world. And every time you make a move, Rome is watching you in case there's insurrection. As they're having this conversation and, and all this is going around, listen, Roman soldiers are all around the city watching their every move because there's a king of the Jews. There's a rumor. There's a king of the Jews. And they're like, uh-uh. We don't do insurrection. We crucify insurrectionists. There's no peace right now for the disciples. And Jesus is talking about something that has nothing to do with their circumstances and where they are currently. He's saying, this peace is given to you by the Holy Spirit. Incredible, incredible God we serve. There's like a bunch of other, like there's so much in the text and, and you know, you're, as you go through it as a, as a, someone who tries to like communicate God's word, you're going, what do I skip? Because I only got so much time and I don't want to, you know, kill you guys death by Bible study. And so you're like, what do we pull out? Like, what things do we, what do I skip? Jesus, which words do you not want me to talk about that you said? So it's always difficult, but, but you know what? I got peace. I got peace tonight. God's good. He loves me. Even though I skipped a bunch of his words, <laughs> he still loves me. All right. Oh, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Jesus, we are so thankful that your Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us and brings us all truth. And so, Lord, whatever was said tonight that was not from you, God, we pray would just fade away. The things that were from your spirit would stay. We thank you tonight that you love us even when we are, are not faithful to you. Lord, we thank you that you've laid out in your word for us your commands and what we ought to do that we might draw close to you and to love you with all of our heart, to know you in, in a real way. And so, Lord, we're so thankful, God, that you care enough about us that you've written down for us your will for our life. And so, Lord, help us.
to those in this room that claim to love you, to take a good look at our life and the way that we live it and this gift that you've given us of life, to look at the way that we are living it and to really ask the question, do I love you, Jesus? Reveal to us, Lord, where we have fallen short, not that we can walk out of this room condemned by the devil, but encouraged and cleaned up as we confess those things to you, as we repent from them and turn towards you, God. We thank you, Lord, that there is grace that is sufficient for today. There's enough for all of us. It never runs out, Lord, we're so thankful. So God, in the ways that we have fallen short tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and bring comfort and strength. Lord, we're weak, Lord, we thank you that you're strong. And so God, we, we praise you tonight. We give you all of our worship, God, because you're worthy of it, Jesus. We thank you that you are so complex, Lord, that you're beyond our finding out. You're, you're too big for us to understand sometimes. But yet, God, you relate to us in such a, a real and personal way. You're close to us, God. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to worship you both in spirit and in truth because you're deserving of it. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.